Welcome to The Theology of the Buddy, a podcast for Catholics who love the beauty of the Church's sacred tradition. My name is Brooke. If you're looking to grow in the faith in new ways, looking to connect with other faithful Catholics, or you're simply looking for other Catholic voices who are willing to speak the truth without compromise, and you like to have fun in the process, you've come to the right place. We're not experts, but we have learned a lot over the 15 plus years of being friends in the faith, and we want to share that with you. So if you haven't yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening, and don't forget to drop by TheologyOfTheBuddy.com for all of our show notes and past episodes. Welcome to the episode, guys. Guests. You got through. Co-hosts. Everybody. Husbands. Yeah. Babies. Dogs. Everyone. Large quantities of corn. All are welcome in this place. Maybe you have a plant. I don't know. You know, plants grow better when they listen to things that are happy. Mm -hmm. We try to be happy. (laughs) 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 Wow. Maybe that's why your bamboo plant is dying there. (laughs) We're back at it doing doing the liturgical breakdown. Mm -hmm. And last season, I don't know what month that would have been, May? Maybe was the last time we were talking about this. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. So this is the first liturgical breakdown of season six. Season six. Holy what, moly. What? Episode yeah. 102. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We finished the offertory. We're really getting deep into the mass. You know what else we're getting deep into? Or what? Cincinnati chili. Sundays after Pentecost. Of, we went to the deep south. Yeah. How was your trip, guys? It was so beautiful. It was summer down there. It was 100% summer down here when you guys got here. (laughs) Okay, so back to the week of glory in Alabama. Mike, Mm -hmm. your thoughts. How was it? Um, Alabama is gorgeous. And uh, yeah, we saw a lot of sacred places there, like monasteries and Bucky's and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's its own kind of cathedral. Yeah, it, is. it really is. It was kind of a pilgrimage going to Bucky's with Tim. Uh, I was saying on our trip that uh, because there was a Bucky's between us and Furnace Fest, and so we'd have to drive by Bucky's twice a day. And I got to the point where there was so much hype around Bucky's that I almost felt the need to cross myself every single time we drove by it. It was unbelievable just unbelievable we were way overexcited about it but then it lived up to the height can we just say tim made the most perfect recommendation of the chopped brisket sandwich i will say he oversold it he said you know this is like a couple meals i'm like that's super weak i ate the whole thing one sitting no problem but i was very full afterwards i mean you're not as chunky as me let's be honest but mike ate it too so i'm probably only outweighed by about 40 pounds (laughs) 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 but yeah it was the best brisket sandwich i've ever had period every barbecue place in canada is destroyed by a gas station (laughs) that's my take on it oh Man, don't go to Texas because gas station barbecue is 100% a culinary treat. You will see people in Texas taking pictures of their barbecue that they get from gas stations. That's what we did. We yep. legit took like So you went to Alabama and you got our... just a little bit of the Texas experience. Yeah. The shrines that we went to, we went to the shrine of the most blessed sacrament, 
beautiful. It was like we were the only people there. We went in the middle of a weekday. There's nothing going on, but weekends much busier. Gorgeous place, yep. and we got to go to uh, Vespers and Compline with the nuns chanting, and we were the only people there besides the the scheduled adorer, I think. <laughs> But it was awesome. And we went to a Benedictine Abbey. Oh, we went to Nicholas Job's parish. Old parish. And that was a treat. It really was. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Amazing. Predates the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Old St. Mary's. Old St. Mary's. So good. Cincinnati. Beautiful. You guys got the coolest people, too. Like, your homeless people are nice in Cincinnati. Like, we we left for Mass. And this homeless guy comes up to Mike and I. He's like... What's up? Where are you get, what are you guys doing for lunch? And we're just like, oh, we're gonna go for Cincinnati chili. And he's like, oh, really? These guys know all about that. And he like points over, and there's like these two young dudes walking towards us. And we're like, okay, cool. And then they come over and he's like, Hey, tell these guys where Cincinnati Chili is or where Skyline Chili is. And so so they start like talking to us about Cincinnati Chili for like 10 minutes. And they spent the, the whole 10 minutes basically trying to talk us off of going to Cincinnati Chili. It was amazing. They were like, look, look, you really don't need to have high expectations. Like, it's just runny meat sauce. <laughs> it's just- That's <laughs> the kind of hospitality we're known for in the Midwest. Yes. Oh, Do yourself man. a favor. Just stay away. <laughs> it, it was indeed just runny meat sauce, but it was pretty tasty. Runny cinnamon chili and like a mountain of cheddar cheese on a hot dog is pretty good. We liked it so much that Mike and I had to order another hot dog after we had one. Yes. My favorite part about the whole experience though, I didn't tell Nick this. I don't know if he even saw the picture of this. Oh wait, maybe you did in the VIV group. But like, so we left Holy Mass. Is this a picture of you wearing the bib? So we left Holy Mass after talking to this homeless guy and these two random dudes. We're still in like our church clothes. So we leave and we go to Skyline Chili and we go in, we go and get changed in the bathroom and then we come out like we made our order, got changed and then come out. And then the lady, the server lady comes up to me and she's like, do you want a bib? And I was like, yeah, I want a bib. Of course. <laughs> so she goes and gets the bib and then she comes to the table and it was like, suddenly I was transported to this like five-star Michelin restaurant, whatever. <laughs> And she's just like, you know, with this plastic bib and like, she ties it around my neck and then like brings out the Cincinnati chili on spaghetti. And it was, oh my goodness. It, it was wonderful. It, oh. Did you feel special when she put the bib on you, Chris? Like you were being pampered. I really did. And she was so, <laughs> she was so sweet. Shout like, out to the waitress at Skyline Chili for putting a bib on Chris. <laughs> Then, but like she asked, like who we were, where we're from, and like she clearly knew, yeah, right? Like, we ain't from around here, our accents clearly gave us away. So, she was, she's like, Where are you going? We're like, Oh, we're going to this like music festival in Alabama, and she's like, Oh my goodness, you two be so careful. And she was just so sweet, she was so awesome. Were you guys careful? Like, did you hurt yourselves? Well, I mean, they ate Skyline Chili, so kind of answers your question, right? <laughs> yeah, not that careful. I just know, like, Mike messaged me, like, the night they came back after the first, like, run of shows, and he's like, oh, Brooke, we had a great time, but we're so old and my back hurts. 
that first night, like that first day of the festival, it's like, it's like training. It gets you super sore. And then for the next two days, you can handle it. Like, I think we only walked like would that first day, maybe 15,000 steps, 14, 13. (laughs) The second day I broke 20,000 steps. It was a pretty, it's a pretty busy day. But the second day didn't hurt as bad, but the second day you got hurt. The right? magic of ibuprofen. <laughs> didn't you got hurt on the second oh. day though? Legit. You got kicked in the head. <gasps> you didn't tell me about this. Yes, I did. Oh, I don't, I don't think you did. Yeah, that was the- causing drama. <laughs> we are having a serious discussion after this because like you've been walking oh, and talking funny like ever since you got back. And oh. now I know why. <laughs> Why should today be any different? Boston accent. I'm I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I didn't know he got I didn't know he got kicked in the head. No, because so Uh, man, that Cincinnati chili messed him up worse than we thought. (laughs) So many people were diving off the stage at Between the Buried and Me, and I did a whole rant to Chris about how this is a prog show, and you're supposed to be nerdy and appreciate the music. And you're not supposed to be jumping on my head when I'm trying to watch a guitar solo. <laughs> Were you making like guitar fingers? Like maybe they misinterpreted as come here. <laughs> yes. Come jump on me. <laughs> yeah. I got injured too, though. I, I wrecked my wrist catching a guy. Oh, man. When they dove. Yeah. I like it still hurts. Was the best festival I've ever been to, bar none. I mean, I wouldn't take my kids to it because there w- was much shame and degeneracy. But. <laughs> Bands that were there, like Mike said on the trip, like the good bands that were there were very good. And awesome. uh plea for purging. The lead singer owns a owns a burger truck. And uh halfway through the set they start throwing burgers into the crowd. It was unreal. About that moment, I'll just say what I said to Chris about a hundred times on this trip, God bless America. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> Speaking of... There's no way you can segue that. Amazing segue. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're going to talk about the cannon. All right. Speaking of launching burgers into yes. the crowd, now we're going to launch no, actually... into the cannon Mike. of the mass. <laughs> he did it! Mike, you did it! <laughs> Nicholas Job joining us from our Ladies Armory spontaneous episode. You join us to discuss a very important part of the mass. How ready do you feel right now at this very moment? I didn't even know what I was getting into. I just saw the invite in my uh, in my chat and I was like, oh, hey, I'll hop on. Maybe they're just having a little <laughs> get together. So we are now going to begin our discussion on the canon, which uh, is going to be very interesting and likely will span likely three episodes because as we discovered in researching there is so much to discuss so much beauty so much um goodness yeah so much canonicity yeah and also so many changes that came in the 1960s so much uh cringe in the discussion around it yeah something i will say that i I found very interesting just kind of looping back to what we experienced on our trip. When we went to old St. Mary's, we ended up going to a unicorn Novus Ordo mass for a daily mass. And uh, it was very beautifully done, but it was the first time I've ever seen a priest do the, um, like the offertory prayers in silence. Where was that? Which parish? Mary's. Oh, at old St. Mary's. Okay. 
Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I've never seen this happen before. Even at like other Unicorn Novus Ordos. At Orientum? At Orientum, yeah. 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 I mean, you guys don't have a movable altar, right? Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there was one? There was, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a uh, kind of interesting sort of development of the, the mass schedule at that parish. Um, I'm not the best person to ask about it, but... Yeah, it's it's been at least a year and a half since we were parishioners there. But when we lived in Cincinnati, that's where we went for a while. And it used to be, let's see, I think low mass was the early mass in the morning. And then they would have a Latin Novus Ordo. And then I think a German mass also like later in the day on Sunday. And then there was like an English one at some point. I don't remember exactly. But uh, then COVID happened and then the Latin Novus Ordo went away and they replaced that with a high mass. And then there were new restrictions that came out about ad orientum in the diocese and, you know, what you could and couldn't do based on the uh, arrangement of architectural furniture, for lack of a better term right now. So basically, the, it became like if you if you have a movable altar, it should stay where it is. Uh, and I think shortly around that time, the movable altar just kind of disappeared. <laughs> So now it's it's just the high altar and that's where they celebrate mass exclusively. They you know they don't mess around with moving the altar back and forth for the German mass and the other ones that they have throughout the week. They just high altar and that's it. That high altar is impressive. Like like why would you not celebrate mass at that altar if you have it available to you? Right? There's the big window right in the front of it with the uh, Saint Mart- Mortula or something. Martura, yeah. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, we uh I don't know if we have the the complete record of that saint but uh it's it's an indulgenced is that the right word for that particular it's an altar of privilege that's what it's called and the 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 relics within the altar that you can actually see through that window come from a Roman martyr from I think the 3rd century or something. It's legit. Wow. Thanks to Nick for sharing the link to a privileged altar. This is mind-blowing. Yeah. So an altar is said to be privileged when, in addition to the ordinary fruits of the Eucharistic sacrifice, a plenary indulgence is also granted whenever Mass is celebrated thereon. The indulgence must be applied to the individual soul for whom Mass is offered. The privileged altar must be a fixed or immovable altar, but in a wider sense, that is, must be stationary or permanent, whether built on a solid foundation or attached to a wall or column, even though it be not consecrated, but have a merely consecrated stone or portable altar inserted in its table. So cool. So cool. Yeah, and then it goes on later on there. It says, to gain the indulgence, the mass must be a mass of requiem. Uh, whenever the rubrics permit it to be so. If there's any reason why the Requiem can't be celebrated on that particular day, the indulgence can still be gained by celebrating another Mass. That's neat. The bishops of the U.S. have the faculty of declaring privileged one altar in every church and public chapel or oratory throughout their diocese, provided this, this privilege has not been previously granted to any other altar in such church under the same conditions. This particular one at Old St. Mary, you saw at the front, you know, it says like altare privilegiatum or something, you know, across the front, clearly designating that this is the privileged altar within the church. I'm not really aware of any other privileged altar. I'm sure that they exist. I'm just saying I, I don't 
I had never even heard of it until going there. And I, I don't know of any others that are out there. So if yeah. you know of one, write to us at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. Yes. So the canon begins with the Teijator. And these are the prayers before the consecration. One of the cool things about learning about that was how the T for the Te Ijitor was often... Illuminated? Yes, illuminated. That's the right word. Um, the T looking like the sign of... Like looking like a cross. And yeah, there's a lot of really, really beautiful uh, examples of how uh, calligraphers or... Illuminators? Illuminators would have... But how they would have, yeah, written that... Tea. That's the origin of the uh, page before the canon with the crucifixion that's in almost every misorient. I think it's related oh. to the the tea and teijitor. I would believe you. I think uh, that was in one of the books I was studying for this. It may be the Fulton Sheen one that you're looking at. Uh, quote, and it is, in fact, the origin of those crucifixion scenes, which are found in most missiles at this point in the text. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the canon, did we even talk about what the canon is? Why it's called the canon? It means rule. Yeah. It's not the implement for launching hamburgers into the audience. No. No. At a music festival. Definitely not. But that was a great segue, if I do say so myself. Yeah, Mormon talked about how it was called the canon because it was fixed and certain more than other parts of the mass. It, above all the other parts of the Mass, it was the part that the priest is to say absolutely by the letter and according to the rule. I can't remember what book it was, but one of them was ta- was dating back how old, like how old those the canon was in terms of when it was like absolutely fixed. And I think it was like third or fourth century. I Not all of it. But Fulton Sheen. The origins. Fulton Sheen talked about that in the book right in front of you. He talked about how certain prayers go back to the third century. Others to the sixth. Right, okay. Others to later. The oldest parts we know go at least to the third. Well, probably that's not, older. There's back to the first. Yeah. Oh, is that right? The words of consecration. <laughs> uh, okay. Zing. Okay, you got me there. Um. Although they're not verbatim from scripture, but. <laughs> the other interesting thing is, too, is so as the priest enters into, at the beginning of the canon, the spirit. The priest speaks in a low voice, like for all of the prayers leading up to the consecration, I believe. Including the consecration. Mm-hmm. Everything con- yeah, is said. Inc- yeah. 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 That's correct. And it just like emphasizes that he is entering into the Holy of Holies. He is having a conversation with God. And it kind of, there's a separation there of us from the priest as he is speaking to God, kind of reminiscent of the priests in the, in the temple. Mm-hmm. I thought that was beautiful. That's a... A point that, like, modern people often don't understand or like. Yeah. That the priest is saying this part of the Mass silently. You can't hear it generally. Monsignor Mormon said something like that because the people understand that the priest is making a sacrifice, the people know what the priest is doing. There's no need for them to hear the words of the prayers. And I just thought, okay, that's very simple and straightforward and logical. But uh, most Catholics today really do not like that. Because they don't know what's going on. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Buy these books, they will help. (laughs) What you said, Brooke, though, was very true. Like Even the the Angelus Press Missal says that the priest has entered alone into the Holy of Holies to pray Mm -hmm. and offer sacrifice for the whole church. Right? It's... Clear, clear connection 
yeah. with with the Jewish roots of our faith for sure. Yeah. Something else too was, uh, and, and this is pointed out in the Angelus Press Missal as well, is that the consecration of the sacrament, its acceptance by God and its fruits all proceed from the virtue of the cross of Christ. And the priest uses the sign of the cross wherever mention of them is made. Thus, at nine occasions throughout the canon, the sign of the cross is used to bring to our minds the passion and death of our Lord in its various stages. So, during the Te Ejator, there are three signs of the cross, which represents Christ's portrayal, which was the work of God, of Judas and the Jews and and us as well. Yeah. So I was uh I was curious to how the Roman canon kind of lined up with what happened during the divine liturgy. So I started looking over to the eastern side. And I was actually I didn't find much that mirrored the Roman canon per se. I mean I'm I may be entirely wrong on this, but I'm not as familiar with the divine liturgy as uh, some, but what I did find was what they call the ana- anaphora. And it seems like it mirrors or is mirrored by the Novus Ordo quite a bit here. Uh, let's see. Uh, going back to the Eastern Orthodox Church of America for this one, it says, Now begins the part of the divine liturgy called the Eucharistic Canon. It's also called the Anaphora, which means lifting up or the elevation. At the time, the gifts of bread wine have been offered on the altar, lifted up from the altar of God, uh, the Father, and received divine sanctification by the Holy Spirit, who comes to change them into the very blood of Christ, uh, body and blood of Christ. Let's see. The general form of the Eucharistic Canon is that of the Old Testament Passover meal, or which is now fulfilled and perfected in the new everlasting covenant of God with men in the person work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then it goes into the actual text here. The priest says, uh, let us stand aright, let us stand with fear, let us attend, that we may offer oblation in peace. The people respond, a mercy of peace, a sacrifice of praise. Uh, the dialogue, let's see, the dialogue continues on later. Uh, let us lift up our hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is uh, meet and right to worship the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Trinity, one in essence and undivided. So with there, it's a, it's more conversative, it looks to be, but it also a lot more relatable on the Novus Ordo side, um, what, as opposed to you don't typically see Eucharistic prayer number one being used. This seems to kind of fill in the gap that that would leave. They definitely got the idea from the East, I think, for multiple Eucharistic prayers. Certain Eastern oh, yeah. groups have had multiple uh, anaphoras for a long time. Like the uh, the Maronites have quite a number of them, which we we sometimes visit in, in London. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the, they have a very good priest in London. Most boss. I'm sure big I fans of our own patrimony. We can at least, you know, take on somebody else's. So just going back here, when we look at the prayers before the consecration, the Te Ejitur and Anon, the, the priest is asking God to basically bless the, the gifts that were that he is about to consecrate and offer to God. And then when we move on to the commemoration of the living, which is the next part, Fulton Jean has this to say, which I thought was beautiful. Quote, As Christ now makes ready to mount the cross, the priest states the full purpose of the sacrifice which is offered for the salvation of the church militant on earth and to the glory of the church triumphant in heaven. He now calls forth and ranges round about the altar the whole company of baptized Christians, their leaders and exemplars at their head. He calls forth all who have suffered and strove here below to lengthen the blessed shadow which the cross casts over the sins of the world, and he calls as well on those who are now sharers in that glory to which we look. 
in first place stands the glorious Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, the Consoler of Men. As a matter of fact, the whole Christian community, the word familia is actually used, is conceived of as being now assembled here where the sacrificial prayer is making into a present reality the rapidly approaching moment when, by transubstantiation, the whole substance of the offerings will become the whole substance of the body and blood of Christ our Lord, end quote. And I just thought it was uh, a beautiful imagery there, just, you know, imagine how like things are truly unfolding in this spiritual way in this physical way, yeah, building just up to this beautiful moment of the the consecration. The thing that also sticks out to me is that we've talked about like the different options, right? The different Eucharistic prayers that can be used in the TLM, or sorry, in the Novus Ordo. In the TLM, there's no option. So every single mass, you're always going to see that the priest has, where he invokes the saints and a long list of them. And I think that is is very important, not just for the priest who is offering, um, but for the faithful too, because it does call to mind the fact that suddenly we are now in the heavenly court, adoring God the Father with the Son. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's no there's no option to just get rid of them. It also kind know? of emphasizes like the ancient aspect of the mass, right? Like calling back to mind like saints that died, you know, second. Second and third century, for example, you know, looking at like uh, Saint Perpetua and Saint Felicity, who are cited in the in the canon during the invocation of saints. Yeah, it's just like a timestamp there. Like, hey, it goes back all the way here, calling to mind the martyrs specifically that died for the faith. Yeah, that was one of the things. I know we talked about this a little bit before. That was one of the things that when I converted, you know, I was going to Saint Michael's up in Woodstock, Georgia, and. There was a priest there, Father Mike, and he would only do the Eucharistic prayer number one. So for the longest time while I was there, that was all I heard. And having that connection, especially at the very inception of my Catholic faith right there was incredible because you know, I really did feel like I was tied in to just centuries upon centuries of the Christian faith. You know, we're, we're having that invocation of all these saints and all these angels you're really brought into the whole where mm-hmm. unfortunately Eucharistic prayers two, three, four, just they don't meet that snuff. Well, there's something about that like, standard. There's something about glossing over, you know, where you just say, and all the saints. It's like, okay, but there is something about being very specific and calling to mind the names of them. They have names. They're not oh, yeah. just like, you know, some abstract person like floating around in heaven somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it's He's similar to the Confidior isn't it where you, yeah. you know, you tie it back and, you know, you're asking very specific, you know, uh, St. Mary, St. Peter, St. John, you know, Archangels, mm-hmm. Michael, I mean, you're, you're going through your naming names, you know, you're getting very specific about who and how you're praying. Mm-hmm. I'm still personally offended that they removed St. Michael totally from, from the mass. Yes. It's, Multiple it's not, mentions. Yeah. Not just, deserves not to just St. Michael. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think back to um, one of the recent guests on the Pints with Aquinas podcast, Father Carlos Martins, and his uh, discussion of exorcism and how, you know, he can be praying and praying and praying and an exorcism can be going on and on and on for weeks or months or years. But when he finds out who that particular demon's nemesis in heaven is, and he names that saint, yeah. and that saint's intercession has, you know, just such dramatically powerful effects 
mm-hmm. you know, almost immediately, like it's over. I, I think it's a great example for us to keep the names of the saints at the forefront of our of our memory and our our daily experience. So, yeah, this is a great point. Yeah, I think it's important when we remember that the priest is offering the sacrifice of the mass for us, like for the church militant here on earth and for our sins. I think I think that's something that at least I have experienced. Sometimes, sometimes you forget about that. The church explicitly says that we are offering this for everybody present because we are we are sinners and in a need of of this gift. That actually speaks to a really interesting point. I mean, one of the questions that you have to ask is how do we pass on our theology? Mm-hmm. And for the Latins, one of the ways that we do it primarily is through prayer, you know, through the way that we pray. If you go to a Novus Ordo parish, my experience has been that it's not passed through the prayers. It's, the theology isn't passed on through praying. The theology is more passed on through, you're expected to glean it from the readings. You're expected to glean it from the songs, which unfortunately you've got Hagen and Haas that are passing on that theology. So you get what you pay for with that. Or Hillsong, depending on the parish. Oh, Being there, done that. Oh, <laughs> goodness. We, oh. we were helping by changing to Hillsong back in the day from hog and Oz. it was a slight improvement <laughs> oh no there you know i've been fully cognizant that there has been a lot of graces gained by the 9 a.m choir just suffering through that situation <laughs> yeah something that made me think of tim is in the day-to-day you're kind of meant to glean theology through these non-prayer sources i totally agree with that then when you come in and try to like people come in with a desire to build up their community and to um, increase the faith of their parish in the Novus Ordo world. A lot of the time, the instinct is we need to catechize people, so we need to get them into a classroom and sit them down and teach them <laughs> about the faith. But oftentimes, they don't improve the liturgy. They don't improve yeah. the, the teaching power of the prayer that's being said as a community. So up to this point, stopping at the invocation of the saints, how different would you say the canon or the Eucharistic prayer is from the Novus Ordo? And by the way, I find it very confusing that it's like, it's just not called the canon, like in the Novus Ordo. Like, I feel like it's just like a modernist invention that all of a sudden it's called the Eucharistic prayer and there's different versions of it. That's only because it is. Okay. Because I was just like, oh, hold on a second. Like, I mean, it, it, you I know, like call it was missing something. You know, like, it was, was you know, we went from the Roman canon to Eucharistic prayer number one. And, you know, one has a certain gravitas to it, you know, like just even through calling it what you call it. Right. Yeah. The other one, I think, was an effort was an effort to minimize it as an option. Well, so and- I think I think that the naming scheme was was both effective in what they meant to do and the effect that it had upon it. And I think that it was very, very purposeful. One source I was reading said that the attempt was to try to shorten the prayer, but it only shortened it by two minutes, two whole minutes. I just think about how it's just like, you know, for the sake of two minutes, trying to totally throw out centuries of our heritage, centuries of like what the mass was and has been for hundreds of years. Yeah. How long does it really take to say the names of those 30 saints or 30 something saints yeah and it's how like much, it's how much time 
does it take to distribute communion at an altar rail versus through Eucharistic ministers? How much, you know, how much time does it take to kneel versus receiving the hand? It's actually faster at the rail. Yeah, exactly. It is. But it's <laughs> like these are excuses. And, yeah. you know, and what we lose is like, even if there was a gain in time, what we lose is timeless. Well, and yeah, like again, like going back to even just like erasing like the names of the saints, it's like looking at your family tree and, you know, just scrapping every scrapping your grandparents' names and your great grandparents' names because it just takes too long to you know, think about them. It's, it is kind of heartless, especially, you know, th- those martyrs that died. The church was built because of the blood of martyrs. And it's just like, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. Maybe I'm too grumpy. It's hard to look back at it. Oh, no, you're anything, not grumpy. But... It should rub you the wrong way. We are absolutely yeah. unplugging from our past, you know, throwing out the patrimony. I mean, it's, it's 100% just that. Yeah. And like, this is something that is absolutely beautiful. That should be honestly, in my opinion, part of every single mass, Yeah, you know, but unfortunately for the expedience of time or for whatever other reason, they've decided like, no, this is too much. We can't do this, but why are you there? You know, what's the purpose of going to the mass? You know, how are we going to be Catholic if we're only Catholic as members of whatever particular church, not the church universal, which not only passes over national border, but also passes over time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the same Catholic church. It was a thousand, 2000 years ago, but we're pretending that it's not. Yeah. Like imagine if they did the same thing to the creed and they, you know, they omitted the name of Pontius Pilate or something. A big important reason of why they have the name of Pontius Pilate, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate was it solidifies a moment in time, a moment in history. So when you remove that, it almost like, I don't know, makes it seem like it didn't happen or it just omits like very important information. I think I see what you mean. Like it's easier to look at it like a myth or a fairy tale when you take out the names of the historical figures. Two points. The first is that I think there's one part of the new Eucharistic prayers that I think was an improvement. And I'm an optimist at heart. I'm always looking for a silver lining, trying to give the benefit of the doubt wherever I can. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And so this is this is one area where I feel like the new prayer does improve slightly. And that's the mention of St. Joseph. Yeah. There's no mention of him whatsoever in the Roman canon. And I think he absolutely ought to be there. So mm-hmm. if we ever got to a point where the, the 1962 Missal gets another edition, you know, I would love to see his name added into the Roman canon. I think it belongs there. I think at least in the circles that I belong to, all of the young priests that I've encountered, and I I don't mean strictly young by age, but young by time since ordination, um, because there are some who are, you know, even in their late 30s, into their 40s, some even in their early 50s who have been ordained somewhat recently. I think these newer priests are coming around back towards tradition a little bit more. And I know many of them who only use Eucharistic prayer one at all of their masses, whether it's Sunday mass or daily mass. So there's hope, you know, there's hope mm-hmm. that their congregations at least are hearing the full canon of the saints, you know, be included at, uh, at their Novus Ordo masses. So keep striving forward. That is a great point. Wasn't St. Joseph added in 62? Was, uh, he's not in pre-55, but he is in the Missal right in front of me. Is he really? See, I'm looking at my Lassance. I'm pretty sure we use the 55 at my parish. 
it's it's in one of the sources that I read, but I remember I remember reading the same thing that it was added, and I think I think by Mike, John the twenty third, right? Yes, yes, and that was kind of one thing that some people speculate could have kind of like sparked the idea of people changing or adding things to the because certain he changed person. something in the canon. It was very yeah. yeah. Now do do I think that I, I think that was uh, like I don't think he was wrong in adding the name of Saint Joseph. I don't think that's a wrong thing at all. I think it's just when people used his addition of that to do other things that maybe weren't that good, be them, you know, weird additions or, you know, taking things away, right? Oh, yeah. you were right, man. See, this the 62 is not the one that I use when I'm at mass on Sunday. So I, <laughs> and obviously since you can't hear it because you're, yeah. you're not right <laughs> in front of the priest. You'd never but, notice um, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I I almost always use my 55 and his name is not in there at all. So mm -hmm. you can strike that from the record. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an interesting If you so little, choose. Uh, <laughs> Although at the beginning I did say I have two points. So if I only say the second one, everybody's going to know you cut something that I said. <laughs> and they're going to wonder, what's this conspiracy? <laughs> I was just going to say just a random side note um, with that. Like with the addition of St. Joseph, I mean, think about it though, like in terms of organic development, I would almost argue it was yeah, because like the time, right? You had this big insurgence, like probably a hundred years previous of more and more focus on St. Joseph in the church. Yeah. You know, there were declarations of him as, you know, patron of the universal church, like these, I, I think they, yeah, they added St. Joseph, the worker, mm -hmm. right? There was all these like organic developments and focuses on St. Joseph. And so adding him in as part of that liturgical or ecclesial, I don't know what the word is, milieu, I don't know. The fact that that was happening makes sense. If they suddenly were just like, you know what, we're going to add in Pope Paul VI into the you know Eucharistic prayer one, that would feel a little bit different, right? that would be a lot different because there would be, there's no cult. There's no, you know, in the universal church, there's not really a devotion. Just to clarify, we use, when you use the word cult, you just mean like devotion, like following or I always, yeah, I always like get that, scared of using that's that how word. the church refers to a devotion to a particular saint. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So but yeah, there like has to be a of to a particular person for them to at least originally consider them for, you know, beatification and yeah. such. Yeah, and like you said, the, the organic development of that happening where the church recognizes that, not that they didn't recognize like the the love of St. Joseph, which I think has, has always been there, but when you have like devotion to him increasing amongst the lay people and him, I don't know, people asking for his intercession and whatnot, and quite worldwide and world widespread, it's just like, yeah, why wouldn't you put him in there? I think that there were some indie mystics back in the last few hundred years that talked about the growing devotion to him. And one of the interesting things is there's now even a consecration similar to the de Montfort consecration for Mary to St. Joseph as well. So you really are seeing him gain a much higher profile. I mean, he's not just building stairs for nuns anymore. He's yeah, actually coming into his due. I understood that reference. Hey. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> Didn't they sell that church though to a? Uh, oh it's like no! Did they? Or a church? Church? Oh, I, don't I don't know. know. Anyway, I have to look. 
Thank you so much for uh, to Nick for joining us on this completely oh, improv. So much fun. <laughs> yeah, you know? thanks for having me. Even though I, I just demonstrated the incompleteness of my Father Lassance 1955 missile, I do love that the canon of the mass begins on page 777 in this missile. That's like the ultimate Easter egg for whoever, you know, did all the typesetting for this. That's amazing. Sure, increase it just a little bit. We've got one more page to go. <laughs> Put in a few extra prayers at the beginning of the book. Come on, we got to push it. Yeah. Illuminate here, illuminate there. On our next episode of Theology of the Buddy Liturgical Breakdown Series, we are going to be talking about the prayers of the consecration. Nick Job, thank you so much for joining us on this spontaneous episode <laughs> for you, not for us, but for you. <laughs> it was. Uh, it has been my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a real, real treat. And you're going to get to join us on the sign-off. Nice. Okay. Well, guys, uh, how do I do it again? Until next time. Is that how I do it? <laughs> <laughs> It's the pregnancy brain. What do I do? And as always, <laughs> enjoy. Okay, what is it? How do I do? From all of us to all of you, stay, stay tratty. 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 See, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wasn't recording. Just kidding. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. What are your thoughts on today's episode? We would love to hear from you guys. Message us on Facebook or DM us on Instagram at Theology of the Buddy. Find us on Twitter at Stay Tratty or email us at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. You can also send us a voicemail there at theologyofthebuddy.com. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and rating and reviewing us if you're on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it as it helps us to get noticed within the larger podcast community. New episodes are released every other Monday. We'll save you a seat at the table.